Welcome to WDTNN's podcast, Workforce Development Technology News Network. Your host, Dustin Swain, Burns Phillips, and Dr. Clay Phillips. Hey, welcome back for the second part of our series on digital transformation. And if government can do it, why aren't you? This segment is hosted by Dr. Clay Phillips, interviewing the former Commissioner Burns Phillips and former Deputy Commissioner Dustin Swain of the Tennessee Department of Labor and Workforce Development. Okay, and and I want to allude to this. You uh, you you were talking about uh, you you found a tool mm-hmm. to help you with this. Is this uh, I'm assuming is integral to your OneTouch platform? It is uh, that you guys created. And I'll just say to our listeners too, I, I I'm still extremely impressed uh, just with the idea and the name of the the product that you created being one touch and that the customer not needing to be touched any more times than they have to based on the needs that they define right right and so that if you have the divisions within your department have access to the same shared information at their fingertips and say uh, one of your constituent calls into the unemployment office and they need to get information from another one of your divisions, then that that handoff of that customer from one division to the next is literally seamless. That's right. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And, okay. You know, and what, what was the motivation behind creating OneTouch other than what we just talked about? Well, from my perspective, uh, one question was asked that let us know that we desperately need to know who our customer is. And that question was in, in relation to the 800,000 phone calls, mm-hmm. which we found out were not unique. But the question was, how many of them are unique? Nobody could tell us. Nobody could tell us that, you know, Tom Jones had called 500 times. What, there were not 800,000 unique callers. But because the system was dysfunctional, they would call over and over and over again. So we needed to know who was calling us, when they were calling us, what their what their issue was, how long it took us to respond to them, what we what our response to them was. We needed to know everything we could about our customer. And that is one of the reasons, one of the causes that moved us towards finding some sort of tool. And Dustin is the one that, that found it, a tool that would help us know our customer and collect data on those customers. Because we can do, you can't do anything if you don't know your customer. And to Dustin's point, the only way you know your customer is if they're the ones telling you who and what they are. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And, and that's, uh, I think, at the center of, of this podcast in particular is, uh, you know, what, what the, uh, the use case actually looked like for you guys from start to finish. And, and as you have both very clearly articulated, uh, it's never going to be finished, right? It's a work in progress if we're going to, uh, if an organization, particularly in state government, is going to become and remain agile within the marketplace and now almost a completely digital workplace, then the the organization has to adopt some sort of data management system that can be used to measure the organization's effectiveness in real time. Correct. Right. So uh, 
I would say next is is to continue this podcast and and and, and build upon what we've already talked about. Um, and I would say that uh, Dustin, do you have any other thoughts or anything to contribute as to maybe what motivated what was what was behind and and what motivated your designing this one touch system and the role that the tool played and the platform played in the the actual realized transformation of the department you know like when uh, burns was talking about it a minute ago when you actually saw this transformation begin before your eyes you saw people in your department changing what what was the would you say the motivation behind all that was well the motivation was that we had to fix a problem and we couldn't fix the problem without the, the right information and that right information had to be real time it couldn't be a month old it couldn't be six months old a week old it needed to be right now <clears throat> excuse me and one of the things that we saw immediately after inputting this new technology and, and let me just say one touch is a, a it's it's a, a combination of many tools but one of the bigger tools that we used within that was Zendesk. It's a ticketing system. And within that platform, we were able to see within literally minutes of turning that sucker on, we could see the kind of information we needed. We needed to know who the customer was, how long it took for us to respond, the full resolution time, and how many tickets did this one person put in, right? Did they call? Did they email us? Did they send in a form? And, you know, that immediately said to me, wow. This person just moved from being a transaction to now being a relationship for us because we can grow from what they're telling us. We can take that information. We can empower our people to make changes. And not only that, the other cool thing that came out of that was that you could see by each agent that was handling those tickets how well they were performing. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you're either communicating via a ticket system like this, a multi-omni-channel system, or you're still handling the antiquated email and phone calls. And if you're handling email and phone calls, you have no idea the amount of effort and work that goes into the day-to-day -day production of whatever it is that you're producing, whether it be claims for unemployment insurance or whether it be uh, you know, claims for an insurance company or if you're a logistics company or, or what have you. If you're handling customer interactions via those modes, email and phone, you're never going to be able to recognize your employees for the amount of effort that they're doing. And what I mean by that is that what's the most dreaded thing you hate when you take a, va a vacation? Right? Coming back from vacation. Yeah, coming back from <laughs> vacation, right? And you've got all these emails just stacked up on you and you got all these voicemails and it's like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? So that, that immediately helped us address some of that morale you know, it's great to have that culture change, to have that benefit of knowing that your leadership is going to have your back no matter what. But then you get to realize it. Then you get to employ it, implement it. And then what I mean by that is you basically are able to look at each person who handles any of that information, tickets, right in the system, our agents, the people who are on the, on the ground doing the, doing the hard work. And then you can see literally in real time how many of those are taken, how quick they are to respond, and most importantly, the customer satisfaction score. I mean, that alone told us who was our top performers and where we needed to invest more resources. And, and it sounds to me like a, a system like this, obviously, is, is an enormous leap into the 21st century for, you know, lack of 
uh, better words. But uh, I can also see that there might be uh, some apprehension uh, in using a system like this because or for mm-hmm. fear of pushback uh, from your frontline people that, let's just call it what it is, that mm-hmm. they might feel like you're spying on them. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, talk about that. I mean, did you guys experience that? If you did, what was the effect? How long did it last? And what did you do about it? Well, from my perspective, uh, we I, I did anticipate that there would be some pushback because people sometimes are concerned about knowing management, knowing what they're doing, or I guess better said, not doing. But what happened was that those people who were concerned about uh, being seen, those people who were concerned that that we would know what they were uh, doing or not doing, pretty much left on their own. And what we found su- surprisingly was that the, the other individuals actually thrived on competition because these these tools displayed to myself and to Dustin, our other assistant commissioners, on a, a, a real-time basis, what was happening, how individuals were serving customers who called in. And it updated that service, that, that, uh, that metric, if you will, the most important metric there is, customer satisfaction, on every 100 customers. And so the individuals who were in the department could actually see and who were interacting with customers uh, one-on-one could actually see their standing in their group because it changed real time. They could see if they were number five or number six or number 25. And of course, nobody wanted to be on the bottom. So the competition actually led towards better performance, which was surprising and and uh, counter to what some people had said they would they would do, that they would not embrace this. But in fact, they did embrace it because for once, management could actually see all the work that they do, the good work they do, and how well they interact with the customers, not the negative side, the positive side of what they do. Yeah. And let me add to that. Uh, you know, one exactly what you just said was a problem about, or a potential problem was, was there any resistance to that change? And, and, and knowing that, hey, you know, my phone conversations are being recorded and transcribed now, and uh, people may know, you know, how I talk to people. Well, that, as Burns mentioned, that those kind of people, you know, stood out and they kind of resolved themselves. You know, they knew that their way either had a change, which gave us a coaching opportunity if they were, you know, able to, to make that leap, or it was time to move on to something different. Um, but how do we counter that with the ones who were performing? Because they still, you know, hey, this is like a little bit big brothers, right? But exactly what I just said a moment ago. When have you ever received credit for all the emails and phone calls that you have taken on a day-to-day basis? That's the bulk of anybody's work. It's that communication piece. And so it doesn't matter if you're in a customer service, <clears throat> customer service agent or if you're, you know, uh, you know, mid-level management even. You want credit for that work that you do. And uh, that was one that where you could just kind of turn it around and say, well, well, now we can give you credit for it, right? It's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. And we're right. ac- we're actually able to Im- incorporate that in into their performance evaluation. Exactly. Yeah, that was when it made a big big jump because now that also impacted their pay, right? Mm-hmm. So now you get the best of both worlds. You, you get to acknowledge the employee for the hard work they're doing and also maybe increase their pay. 
Well, that sounds like, and I, I apologize for stepping on you guys, but that's that sounds like that, uh, not necessarily inadvertently, but it's it's uh, th some of the good exhaust, if you will, mm -hmm. of this pro this new process and program is that it sounds like it it really eliminated a lot, if not most, of the obscurity that most performance evaluations have been based on traditionally because they're so doggone subjective, right? that, okay, who's evaluating this person? If I'm being evaluated by HR, and that's the only time of the year that I actually see HR yeah. is during a performance evaluation, then, you know, what, what, what data or what system of measures are they using to evaluate me? So it sounds like this entire system, uh, and, and perhaps Zendesk, is filling uh, that void and, and helping to correct another uh, uh, problem that's been a pretty significant undertow for some time in the corporate world. Is that, is that what happened to you guys? Yeah. I mean, I think it gave uh, us, you know, information that we were never really privy to because we didn't have any way to collect that kind of information. We were having to rely just on <clears throat> what you said, you know, the, the personal experiences of management. And uh, now this was a tool that every single thing that someone was doing could be measured. Now, you know, and you could make that as big or as small as you wanted, but the, 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 the key was is that um, not only did it give us that information, but it also helped us internally too, right? So now HR is looped into that relationship, and they are seeing the same thing that management's seeing. They're seeing the same thing that leadership's seeing. And the frontline person, we're all communicating on the same information. There's not different wavelengths happening here. Um, how, how long would you say it, it how long would you say it took for the 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 frontline folks to really, you know, get used to this new uh, uh, system of of data gathering, performance evaluation, uh, using it to to that effect and to their benefit? You know, I mean, did it take a month, two months on average for the you know your your frontline folks and everybody else to kind of settle in and get over the big brother thing? Well, I'll tell you this, you know, as soon as we implemented the, the screens, the, the dashboards across the, uh, the offices, uh, out in the hallways and in workspaces where people were actually doing this work, it clearly indicated to them that, uh, you know, everybody's going to know what I'm doing now, as Burns mentioned earlier. And, but it also gave us the opportunity to recognize those high performers. And everybody wanted to be a high performer after that. I mean, when, you're, when your leadership's writing you personal notes of thanks for, for, you know, taking these tools and doing these these big jumps, uh, that, that starts to inspire others to do that. You know, that word starts buzzing around. It didn't take very long at all. And, you know, honestly, uh, the high performers loved it right out of the gate. And it was those marginals that, you know, they were either going to make the uh, decision to improve or, as Burns said, go on. It also was consistent with our uh, culture creation mm -hmm. with our, our attempt or our goal of, of making it an agile organization and pushing decision-making out to the periphery of the organization. And that can only happen if individuals have the information that they need to make good decisions. So, and that's what it did. It actually provided information to individuals who were in direct contact with customers uh, to be able to make a decision based on the information that they were uh, getting real time or even match that with information they had gotten 
in the past on a particular a customer because it built the system built a profile of each customer and from the first time they contacted the department. So going forward, the department had a record of every engagement that individual had with the department and what was the, the issue and how the issue was addressed and how it was satisfied. So that that fit right into our idea of having, having an agile organization. And something else that it did, and Dustin sort of touched on it, was that because this system would record conversations and even transcribe it if you wanted uh, that to, to occur, was that it actually helped protect your employees and your customers. Because someone might say that, well, your agent was very rude, was very mm -hmm. ugly. Yeah. And we could go back and look at what the conversation was and say, well, Mr. Jones, that's not the case. Uh, and she was very professional and she um, helped you and served you. It might not have been what you wanted. In other words, you may not have qualified for unemployment insurance, but she was very professional in her dealings with you. Or on the flip side, you could say to one of the employees, uh, you know, Susan, at this point, you could probably have handled this a little differently. And that was an opportunity for that individual to get better. But what it did was it provided the department with the reality of the situation, not what one person said and against the other person. There was no he said, she said. We could go back and see exactly what had transpired between a customer and one of our agents, and that's invaluable. Okay, and I, I can tell you that this is this is where, uh, as we promised early in the, the podcast, this is when the, this is getting good because now what you've you've demonstrated in this use case is that uh, you've gotten to a point to where now you're actually uh, collecting and analyzing uh, real data in real time, right? And the the key beyond that is what do you do with that data, right? And how do you use it to perpetuate this positive movement into not just digital transformation, but also into improving the services that you're providing to your customers, right? And identifying other pain points, as Dustin mentioned earlier. So, Burns, uh, your leadership model, uh, just in this conversation, of course, since I've known you, uh, is very straightforward and it should sound very straightforward to anybody that's that's listened to you or heard you speak before. But it, within this, you've mentioned the importance of your team uh, within the department from the front line all the way up to your office in this whole transformation um, process and endeavor. So I think what a lot of people wanna know is how did you guys get buy-in? from the, what, 1,200 plus employees in your uh, department in such a short period of time, and how did you get them, you and Dustin, how did you get them to transform the department? Because it sounds to me like that's where the transformation occurred, was with your team, not with a, a machine or a piece of equipment or a piece of technology. Yeah. Well, well go ahead, Dustin. Well, I, I was just going to say, from my perspective, it, it, you know, with any change or transformation, you got to get a quick win, right? People are <laughs> looking for success, and that success will, you know, it'll start spreading like wildfire. 
And uh, when I think the employee saw that, A, we were able to address a major pain point for them, which was giving them the tools that they needed to do their job more efficiently and effectively. Um, and then also because this ticketing system allowed us to erase that 60-something thousand claim backlog in such a short, I mean, we're talking a few months, we were able to erase that backlog. I mean, that, that was a huge morale boost. I mean, no longer are they coming into work feeling like no matter how hard I work today, we're never going to dig out of this hole, right? But then we gave them that tool. It was very real. They could see it. I mean, literally on TV, right? They could see that TV dashboard with the metrics. They could see the claims coming down. They could see their customer satisfaction going up, and they could see the production. That becomes all very real, and it's not the leadership saying it. It's the data right? That data became alive. And I think that really inspired more groups. And I know it did because they came to us and said, hey, we, we want that. And it wasn't long before the entire department was on this ticketing system because everyone started to see the huge benefits and quick wins and successes out of the gate. And we tried to stress that it's going to help make your job easier. Yeah. Because it's going to remove a lot of the manual uh, paper-centric processes that you've been involved in for so many years, it's going to eliminate that. Your job is actually going to become easier. And some of those things will be automated and you'll be redirected to other functions that are important that you may not have had time to, to address in the past because you were swamped in paper and phone calls. So I think that's one way that we, we convinced them that it would be a positive thing. and. When I, when I saw that it was actually working is this agile culture, this agile organization and providing information and freedom and empowerment to employees is when we would be in a conference, in my conference room, in a staff meeting, and I would have heads of different divisions talking to each other about initiatives and projects they had started and leveraging their resources to uh, implement a new initiative, and I'm sitting there saying to myself, uh, gosh, I didn't even know about that, but that's a wonderful thing. That is what we wanted in an organization. We wanted this organization to be an organism, not a machine. We wanted it to be a living organism where each part of that organism fed off of the other, helped each other, and made decisions on their own uh, and the and we wanted individuals to know that they didn't have to come and run everything by us. They knew what the parameters were. And it was a wonderful thing to see, to see that, and to sit there and watch in a conference, in my conference room, the conversation between heads of different divisions talking about projects that I didn't even know had been initiated. Now, I'm sure that'd make a lot of people in leadership roles uncomfortable, but in this day and age, that's what you've got to have is, that kind of freedom for the organism to function without somebody having their thumb on it. And that really told me that Dustin and I had taken it where we wanted it to be. Uh, and the other thing that made me realize it was working is when someone, because my open door policy would come to me, stick their head in the door, just walk in and say, hey, commissioner, I hope you don't mind. Well, Certainly, my response was, well, does it matter? Because clearly uh, the decision has already been made because when you come to my office and say, hey, Commissioner, I hope you don't mind, but rarely was it anything that, that wasn't a good idea or shouldn't have been done. 
point of that is that they took the initiative to do it, to take some sort of action to improve the department, especially in the area that they were in. And that also is a wonderful thing to see. Hey, I'd, I'd like to uh, emphasize that first point you had, Burns, which was uh, when you started to see the heads of the divisions talking with one another, you know, another great story out of this was that, uh, and what you also said about resources, once they were no longer needed on that backlog, that they were redirected to other areas. You know, what that started to do to the culture was, is that without our direction, without our asking, without their leaders asking them, they were just saying, hey, who else can we help? Hey, can, hey guys, I, I, know, I know you had a bunch of these come in last week. Can we help you? And you start seeing that happen within your units. And then they started going outside of their units where they could, right? Because within government, you've got certain buckets to charge money to, and you have to do it a certain way. But within where they could, they tested those boundaries. It wasn't management pushing them anymore to do so. So it just naturally kind of bore itself out of the work. And that's exactly the kind of healthy culture you want to see happen. And it's the kind of thing that can happen when you implement a tool like this because it opens up that communication. Everybody's free to see what everyone's doing. And uh, I think that was very important. The other part of it is the, uh, the, the, the silos that, that had existed were really tore down from that. They're, if you go in that department today, there are no silos. They're all talking across it. You know, how can we share the tools that you implemented? Can you share that with us? And, you know, beyond that, within, within those silos, you do find areas and units that need additional training. And some of that training that we implemented, uh, as you know, was uh, soft skills. And I think it greatly helped us in some of those um, areas where there maybe were some marginal people that we were able to, to change back. We were saying, hey, let's jump on this train. It's, it's a hot ride right now, and we're going we're gonna to make some good change here uh, instead of exiting the department. You know, we were able to salvage some of that. And, and what it helped do was once someone's soft skills are enhanced through training, uh, it makes them uh, be a better collaborator, a better team person, right? Because all this is a team effort. And uh, I think that just really helped us kick off and sustain this growth, right? It's one thing to implement the tools. It's one thing to get the culture uh, right out of the gate. But how do you sustain that over time? It's because of training those areas that where you may be weak. And sometimes that area is soft skills. <laughs> Well, and I think that's something, too, that you guys uh, figured out very quickly, even before we met, was that uh, if, if you really want to do something for your employees from a training standpoint, is to train them in something that's going to improve or stands to improve their entire life. The other two-thirds of their life when they're not at work. And that's obviously when we three engaged. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think that's, that, that can be a slippery slope for uh, leaders, managers, mid-level managers, even supervisors, is that we tend to assume that we know how to communicate with each other. Uh, and, you know, what are we communicating? You guys have heard my shtick a million times, but, you know, we communicate for one reason. Human beings communicate for one reason and one reason only, and that is to meet our needs. If we didn't need something from another human being or from other people, we would have no need to communicate. That said, when we need something or we, we feel like we, we want something for uh, any, any variety of reasons, it all depends on our ability to effectively communicate that need to someone else in order 
to garner their assistance, right? Hmm. If I need something from you, it's probably to my advantage to communicate my need to you in a way that you're going to embrace it and accept it. Well, guess what? We're not born that way. Uh, we're, we're taught at a very young age to be selfish and to be self-centered and to throw a fit when we don't get what we want, to pick up our ball and go home. But yet, you know, we're in the workforce and, uh, you know, we've got leaders with all kinds of impressive backgrounds, but they, 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 they don't realize that. Maybe they don't know it. Maybe they haven't realized it. But you guys did. I mean, you spotted it. And by golly, you did something about it. I'm pleased to have been a part of that. Um, and I got to see it on subsequent visits to your department and talking to people that we trained and just to see how different the person was, right? And I'm going to tell you and the listeners here what that, I believe that communicated to the, uh, the, the, the staff members there at the Department of Labor and Workforce Development was that was two things, that beyond any doubt, the commissioner, the deputy commissioner, the assistant commissioners and the chief of staff cared about them genuinely. And more importantly, you trusted them. Mm -hmm. And you, you just don't accomplish that by talking about it or putting a, a poster on the wall, right? Uh, you put your money where your mouth was and, and help them improve the other two thirds of their life as well as, you know, the third that they spend with you every day. So I, I don't want to oversimplify what you guys have accomplished here, um, but it seems that uh, throughout every bit of this that you maintained a, a real simple strategy, uh, even to this day, even you know, uh, post-commissioner uh, and deputy commissioner roles. Um, but, you know, we've talked about uh, the challenges that you've experienced along the way. And I'd ask you to think for a second, you know, what in your individual roles, is there one most significant challenge that you faced that, that stands out more than the rest of them to make this transformation occur? Go ahead, Dustin. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll share from my perspective. Uh, the, the challenge that occurred, I'll give you with a pro and a con. The pro was we were able to find a tool that provided us exactly what we needed at the right time, which was to, to tell us who our customers were and a lot of information about them so we can make informed decisions. The cool thing about it was it only took 28 days to implement fully, right? And the, the con, the challenge was, was procurement of it. And that's just <laughs> simply from the context of a government space, right? Um, that shows you how quick this technology can move and, and start to change your life immediately. I mean, the tickets start coming in within minutes. Your staff can be trained in a few days. But full implementation in less than 30 days, we beat the free trial. At the, at the time, they had a 30-day free trial. Um, that's quick wins. That's successes. Those are good ingredients for making a transformation. Uh, and the challenge, I would say, um, once you get past that, uh, you know, especially in businesses, you don't have those challenges. You know, go get the tools, take the risk. Government's a little different. You have rules to work within. Um, and sometimes in business you do too, but don't let that get in the way. Okay, how about you, Burns? Yes, I'll <laughs> double down on something that Dustin said. The challenge that I saw going into it was, and coming from the private sector, uh, where I'd spent most of my life, was how to get things done in the government space 
because there are so many rules and regulations in existence. Many of them, when you try to find out why they're in existence, you can't even track down when or why they were adopted, whether it's in a, a law or, or rules, whatever it may be, and they were stifling. And, and my concern was, how are we going to accomplish anything working in that kind of environment? And so really, we, the way we overcame that was uh, we just adopted the philosophy that, as Dustin has said before, if it's legal and it won't kill anybody, give it a go. We're not worrying about asking whether we can do this or whether we can't do that. We just plunge forward and we, we start down a road. And if it doesn't take us where we want to go, we back up and we take what we've learned and go down another one. But we don't worry about anything other than what we needed to do to, to serve our customers. And that made some people in, in government un, uncomfortable because that's not that's not what government does. Government always says, well, that's not the way we do it now. We've always done it this way, or you can't do that. And I know Dustin and I, one time, we said, don't, don't say that we can't do that unless you can show us the, the law or the rule or the regulation that says we can't. Because we're going to assume that we can do whatever we need to do as long as it's legal and doesn't kill anybody. Mm -hmm. And so my concern was that, uh, that that would be stifling to any, any changes that we might implement. What I found was, and I think Dustin would agree, is once we got the culture right, Nobody really worried about whether it was in something that we could or could not do. We just plunged ahead and got an awful lot of things accomplished because we didn't worry about that. Now, I don't mean we were reckless. If there's a law that says one thing or a rule, but if unless it was specifically prohibited, we just moved forward. Well, you know, I think an important point about that, Burns, is that Technology has moved so fast that government laws have not kept up. That's right. And, you know, and, and so the types of things that we were running into was cloud computing, for instance, right? There was mm -hmm. nothing written about cloud computing or the effects of it or can we do it or is it secure or stable? And there was a lot of mm -hmm. hurdles to jump with that. But as they soon saw, it was a, a great way to move forward. It was actually one of the first cloud-based systems in the state. So, That's right. uh, you know, we had to get a lot of approvals for it, but it was worth it. Was worth it. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's about making sure you can do it, but don't, don't let that hold you back as far as, uh, those gray areas. Yes. Because that stifled a lot of people who would come up with an idea before it would come up with an idea. They might think it's a great idea, but they wouldn't take the first step to see that it is adopted and implemented because of fear of the, of the environment, but also because they didn't really know whether you could do it or not. That always heard, uh, you can't do that, state government. You know, we always have done it this way, and that's how we're going to continue to do it. And we completely disrupted in our department. We disrupted that state of mind, don't you think, Dustin? Absolutely, and I think that's what's allowed us at that time to, uh, you know, make so many great changes that you know has really been woven into the fabric of government. Okay, guys, so uh, let's take a look, and this is our next to last question, and uh, take, let's take a look at the other side of that coin, uh, the challenge being one side of the coin and uh, payoff being the other side of the coin. What would each of you say the most notable payoff has been uh, of this digital transformation? Well, I think that 
there there are many actually, but significantly, one of the payoffs has been that we provide service to customers, to the citizens of the state of Tennessee that have never been seen before. And we can actually show that because we measure our service and we measure customer satisfaction, which after all, when you're dealing with a customer, no matter whether you're in the private sector or the public sector, customer satisfaction is the one metric that tells you whether you're doing the job or not. So we, we consistently on our customer satisfaction ratings are in the upper 80s to low 90s. That is incredible, especially in government. And as Dustin points out sometimes, especially when you're telling somebody that they're not going to get some, some money and you still mm-hmm. are rated high on the service that you provide. That, that to me was very rewarding. The other thing for me personally was to see individuals who have so much talent and who are so dedicated blossom and maximize their capabilities, really grow as individuals in the role in which they were placed. For me, that that has been probably the most rewarding aspect of this entire journey was to see people grow, to see them become everything that they could be. That 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 has really uh, impacted me. Yeah, I, I I'd echo those same sentiments and and then just offer a few from just the business side of it, right? Which is the processes and kind of my lens, if you will. Um, but through that, I would say that, you know, one of the greatest fears, or let me say this, one of the greatest benefits was, is that it provided us a means to start our digital transformation, right? At the time we started, we didn't know that's what it was called, but as we started right. moving through it and the terms started hitting and trend, uh, I mean, we started this back in 2013, 2014 originally, mm-hmm. and, and not, not this tool, but just the overall process, culture development and things over the years, right? Um, but the, the interesting thing was it provided us a means to digital transformation. We had legacy systems. You often hear this about the fear of making a transformation is I've got old systems that can't possibly work with this type of technology. That's not true. We had a 40-plus-year-old COBOL system. I mean, think of that wall computer that you see in those older movies. That's, what, that's kind of what we were pumping on here. Uh, the other, the other benefits to this was the actual ease of use and speed of up, you know, to getting this product up and going. I mean, less than a month, it's, it's teaching people how to use it right out of the box and the cost, the number one thing it affects your bottom line. And, you know, for government, you know, that's, that's important if, if you're, um, looking to try to do more with less, right? It's also important if you're in business because your bottom line is your profitability, right? So, when you look at that in our department, it saved us $250,000 right out of the gate because we removed an old proprietary legacy system. And then we looked for future value, which was we don't need a desktop phone anymore and the $20 line that goes with it per month. That's not needed anymore. And that almost took care of the cost of the license. So not only did we get newer technology, but almost for free and, uh, and a heck of a lot more information upon which to make informed decisions. Great. Well, I tell you, that leads us perfectly into our last question of this podcast. And I think it's one that uh, all of our listeners are dying to hear uh, you guys answer. And uh, that is from beginning to not necessarily the completion of the digital transformation of your of the department, but from the beginning to the self-sustaining or self-perpetuating phase 
of you know when when all the wheels were in motion and it began to uh, or it became a catalyst really um how long did that take well it's uh, ongoing when you're when you are attempting to enter the digital world and you're trying to make a digital transformation of your organization once you have your foot in that journey if you will it never stops and we quickly made the the first step into the journey uh, within the first year that we were there uh, and it has been continual ever since and will continue in, in today's world when technology is changing so rapidly and when the the, the uh, computing power uh, doubles every 18 months, you have to be of the mindset that this is something that will continue and continue, continue. And you have to be prepared for that. You have to have the organization, the culture, and the people and the tools that will enable any organization to address the changes that are going to come through this uh, digital world that we're now in. Yeah, I'll, you know, second off that is that, um, to your point, it's a catalyst. It Once this thing spins up, it, it stays spinning, and it's going to continuously provide you with that necessary information upon which to keep your company or your government or your, your program afloat and to stay ahead of the times. I mean, you know, you're... In government, you don't have as much. You don't have competition. It's really kind of like a monopoly. We're the only ones that will provide this service in this state, right? But if you're a business, I think that's very important to know because you, you, you're you not buying into a system that's going to give you a one-time thing here. This is a system that provides you value every single day you've got it running, and it does not turn off until you turn it off. Okay, and I, I think that's uh, that's the best place to, to wrap this uh, podcast, guys. I appreciate all your uh, your time and, and the information you've shared. It's been a long journey. I, I uh, you know, got to share a little bit of it, just a microscopic part of it. So I got to witness uh, this uh, this transformation to begin and reach what uh, we've agreed to call the the catalyst phase, um, that to where it begins to self perpetuate itself. So, in, in wrapping it up, guys, what's the what what's the the single takeaway that you'd like for our listeners to get? from this podcast and in your journey through this digital transformation of the, the Department of Labor in Tennessee? I would hope that, and I'll go back to, to what Governor Haslam asked me at the beginning of the, of the last year. I wanted to know, he asked each commissioner, what is it that you plan on doing in the last year of this administration? Because by that time, most very large, significant uh, uh, initiatives had been done or were close to being finished. And one of the things that I told him that I wanted to do and individuals in my department was to get out and speak to organizations, educational, business, whatever the case may be, to create an awareness of what we've been talking about, an awareness of the impact of technology on the business world, on government, on education going forward. To create an awareness of what is happening and what's going to happen so that organizations can start thinking about how it's going to impact them and start trying to figure out how to get the tools and the guidance and the help that they need to 
meet the challenges that are coming. And it's incredibly important that they do this because it's estimated that in the next 10 to 12 years, as many as 40% of the businesses that exist today, and this is something that came out of uh, one of the, from Google, as a matter of fact, 40% of the businesses that exist today probably will not be here within 10 years. And that was a prediction made last year. And it's because they won't adapt to the digital demands, the digital world. And so if there's anything that people who are listening to our podcast or people who saw us speaking to groups uh, about technology, that's what I would hope that they would understand that you better get ready because if you're not getting ready in the digital world, your competitor probably is. And if they are, they're going to leave you behind. <laughs> so it, that would be the one thing that I hope people would get from this podcast. And, and people who saw us when we were at the department would understand what we were trying to do. That's what we, we told the governor we wanted to do and we started to do that. So we're just continuing it now through these podcasts. Yeah. And I, Great, great response, Burns. And I would just add to this that, you know, my one takeaway from this is that after I went and was asked to go speak at a couple of events, uh, talking about our use case with business, you know, it became apparent that businesses struggle with this. And I would have thought the exact opposite. I would have thought the government would have been far, far behind on digital transformation efforts. But if I would say one thing to take away from this podcast is, and this use case is, if, if government can do it, then why don't you? And, uh, and I think that's a serious gut check. And I think that business leaders all around the world need to ask themselves that. And I think that, uh, this use case should, should at least show you, um, if you have a little bit of reservation about it, that it's possible if government can do it, why aren't you? And that's a great spot to, to really end us on, uh, guys. And, and we know too, that the, the main thing uh, that I would ask folks to take away from this is that we've, you, you've heard Dustin and Burns say it many times, many different ways, that this is a, an ongoing process. This is never ending. There is not a destination uh, to this digital transformation. Uh, it is a, it's an ongoing process that, that has to, in some form or another, become catalytic. And the energy that comes from this process of transformation, uh, if it's done right, will be that catalyst for your organization. Uh, guys, thanks so much. This has been uh, an extremely valuable uh, interview. I don't know that anybody else has, has had the opportunity to interview you guys about this. And uh, if I'm the first, then uh, I count myself to be doggone lucky. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, Clay. Appreciate it, Clay. Thanks so much. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us on our two-part series, A Digital Transformation. And if government can do it, why don't you please visit our website, WDTNN.com, where you can subscribe to our podcast and also follow us on social media for our Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn pages. Also, we love to have guests on our show. So if you'd like to be a participant in one of our podcasts, go to WDTNN.com and leave us a message. And we'd love to have you on our show. Until next time, thanks for joining us. Thanks.